You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm so glad that you have joined us today as we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together. And we have a lot to celebrate as a result of that. But I do know and recognize that not everyone that's here today uh, is so sure that what we're celebrating today actually happened. And uh, I just want you to know if that describes you, we're really glad that you're here with us. You know, you're welcome here. You're welcome to uh, join us on Sundays while not believing what we believe. And we want you to know that we want to be your friend, even if you don't believe what you believe. It's, it's safe around here to doubt openly, to ask questions, to even question things like uh, the very core of the Christian faith, which happens to be that Jesus died and he rose again. If you have a hard time believing that that is true, I just want you to know, uh, you're in good company. For uh, Jesus' first followers had a really hard time believing that was true. And to this morning, I just want to show you why I say that. Because uh, when you see the initial reaction of Jesus' very first followers and to the empty tomb, I think uh, it might surprise you, but I also think that it communicates a whole lot. And one of the things that it communicates is that no one expected that Jesus would rise from the grave. No one expected the resurrection. Uh, Now, I want you to see this for yourself. And so if you will, open your Bibles to John chapter 20, or you can follow along with the slides behind me. But as you get, get there, let me give you a little bit of context, okay? So John chapter 19 is where we read of Jesus' brutal crucifixion and death. And in that passage, we also read that after Jesus died, the Roman guards entrusted Jesus' dead body to two guys, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And uh, they took his body and they went and they prepared it for burial and they put it in Joseph's tomb just before Friday evening got here, which would have been the beginning of the Sabbath, okay? That's how John chapter 19 ends. John chapter 20 picks up on Sunday morning. And verse 1 says this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, in case you don't know, Mary Magdalene is the most famous female follower of Jesus. Mary Magdalene Uh, had followed Jesus for years at this point. She was incredibly loyal. She, as a result of her time with him, she had all kinds of thoughts about who Jesus was. And she, for example, thought that Jesus was a great teacher. And she thought that Jesus was a miracle worker. She had seen him do these incredible healings. She thought that Jesus was from God. She even thought that Jesus was the promised Messiah But friends, on that very first Easter morning, Mary thought that Jesus was dead. And she thought that he was going to stay dead. 
And we know that because in Luke chapter 24, kind of a parallel passage to John chapter 20, Luke, the gospel writer, tells us that Mary was headed to the tomb that first Easter morning, not in hopes to see the risen Savior, to see Jesus alive. Now, she was actually headed to the tomb that day to re-prepare Jesus' body for burial. In fact, Luke tells us it's Mary along with a few of her friends, other followers of Jesus, and they were going to re-prepare Jesus' body for burial. And you think, okay, now why would you do that? Well, I'm speculating a little bit, but I think it's because they knew that Nicodemus and Joseph were the ones that prepared Jesus' body for burial, and the women thought that the men probably messed that up, and so, which sometimes men can do. And so they were going to re-prepare his body for burial. Now, that's insightful. That tells us something about how much Mary loved Jesus, does it not? I mean, think about this. Who would you do that for? right? Like who would you go and, and just be thinking, okay, I don't know if they, they prepared his body well. I'm going to go two days after he's already been dead and redo it. Like I asked Krista, my wife this week, and I uh, said, hey, babe, like if, if I died and you began to wonder, I wonder if they did a good job taking care of his body when they put it in the grave. Uh, would, would you have me dug back up and, and check? And if they're not done right, would you redo it? And she said, without a second's hesitation, uh, nope, I'm getting you cremated. <laughs> oh, man, that hurt a little bit. But um, my, uh, my point here is that Mary Magdalene really loved Jesus. Uh, chances are she loved Jesus a lot more than you love Jesus. And she had seen, she had been around, she had witnessed things that we haven't gotten and haven't gotten to see. I mean, she was so loyal to him. She respected him so much. And yet on that first Easter morning, she thought Jesus was dead. And she, and understandably so, assumed that he was going to stay dead. And to the point that whenever she found the tomb was empty, she didn't assume that Jesus had risen again. She actually assumed that Jesus' body had been stolen. Look what she says in verse 2, or what happens in verse 2 of John 20. She says, So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, uh, quick aside. In this reference of the one that Jesus loved, that uh, is actually a reference to, to John, uh, one of Jesus' disciples. And he had kind of this ego thing going on because John is actually the one who wrote this. And he doesn't call himself by name. He just calls himself the one that Jesus loved. I'm, I'm sure the other disciples really appreciated that. <laughs> but anyways, it's Peter and John that Mary runs to and, uh, to go find after she found the tomb was empty. And do you know why she actually had to run to them? Because they weren't at the tomb. They weren't there. And you know why they weren't there? Because no one expected that Jesus was going to rise again. And so after finding the tomb was empty, she had to go run and find Peter and John. And you, you know where they were? They were hiding. Later in John chapter 20, we're told that Peter and John, along with some of the other disciples, were hiding in a locked room out of fear for the Jewish authorities. 
See, they were hiding because they were afraid, and they were afraid because they thought that the Jewish authorities, the religious leaders who had orchestrated Jesus' crucifixion, were going to come after them next. They were hiding because they thought that maybe they were going to be going to jail because they followed Jesus. They were hiding because maybe they thought they would be killed because they followed Jesus. They were hiding because they did not have any hope that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. So Mary comes running to Peter and John, to the, to the other disciples, and she noticed what she says to them. She does not say, hey, guys, the tomb's empty. Jesus must have risen. No, uh, she says, guys, I think someone's stolen the body of Jesus. Now, uh, in Luke, like I said, this kind of parallel passage to John 20, uh, Luke gives us a little bit more detail to what happens in this interaction. It's helpful to know that, uh, that Luke was uh, a doctor and that he actually tells us in the beginning of his gospel account of Jesus' life that he set out to write this account by investigating everything thoroughly and interviewing all of the eyewitnesses and trying to put together a very accurate and organized account of all that happened in Jesus' life. And in his account, Luke chapter 24, verse 10, he tells us this. He says, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with, him, with them who told this to the apostles or to the disciples. And so if you can picture this interaction, these ladies show up, they say that the tomb is empty, and here's how the disciples respond. Verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Jesus' disciples responded to the news of the empty tomb the same way that you and I would respond to the news of an empty tomb. They said it was nonsense. They, they, they thought it was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous claim. Because uh, dead people don't die and <laughs> they stay dead for a couple days and then come back to life. Of course they felt like it was nonsense. Oh, N.T. Wright, a uh, British scholar, uh, in his masterful book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, this 800-page scholarly work um, <laughs> that took, takes forever to read. But anyways, uh, it's widely regarded as the best work that's ever been done on the resurrection of Jesus. And in that book, he makes the point that the reason why the disciples would respond to this claim as saying it's nonsense is because the Jews in the first century did not believe that an individual could be resurrected. In fact, there was a group of Jews that were called the Sadducees that didn't believe that there was even such a thing as the resurrection. But then there was also a segment of Jews that did believe that there would be a bodily resurrection, but it would only happen at the end of history for all of the righteous at the same time when God healed all of the world of sin and death and decay. And so the idea of one individual being resurrected in the middle of history while the world was still suffering under sin and death and decay was anathema to them. It was nonsense to them. It was heretical thought to them. See, no one expected the resurrection. And when they heard that the tomb was empty, they thought it was nonsense. However, verse 12 continues, 
And it says that Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away shouting, He's alive! He's alive! No, he didn't. I, I made that last part up. You would think that that's what it would say. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense, I'm sure. Yeah, that's not what it says. Here's what it really says. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Why was that his response? It's because no one, not even Peter, expected the resurrection. Now, the question I want to invite you to wrestle with in light of all of this, uh, the question that I really want to encourage you to ask if you're skeptical about whether Jesus rose from the dead, and, and if you are skeptical, of course you're skeptical. <laughs> dead people don't come back to life. It's, it makes sense if you're skeptical, but if that's you, then I do want to encourage you to ask this question, to wrestle with this question. Here's the question. Why did, why did the first century followers of Jesus document their disbelief? Why did they document their disbelief? Why do that? See, I think that's worth asking because if they were going to fabricate a story about Jesus' resurrection, then the whole point of making up a story is to keep the Jesus movement going, to keep the memory of Jesus alive. And see, many people do think that okay, the explanation of, of, of the resurrection is that the disciples hid his body, stole his body, that, that that's why it, there was an empty tomb. And just quick aside, no one argues that there was an empty tomb. Secular uh, or Christian, I mean, different. You look at the research, it's a foregone conclusion that the tomb was empty. But most people think, oh, well, it was empty because some, they stole the body. And then they came up with a lie to try to keep Jesus' memory and message moving forward. But, friends, if that is what they did, then why would they document their disbelief? Why would they, the, 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 the leaders, you know, the disciples of Jesus, the ones that while Jesus is no longer around, the ones that people will naturally look to as leading this Jesus movement, why would they make themselves look so, so bad? That doesn't really make any sense, does it? I mean, think about it. They documented the fact that they didn't believe Jesus had risen. They documented that when Jesus was arrested, every single one of them disappeared into the darkness and let Jesus be taken by himself. They documented the fact that Peter stood outside of the court while Jesus was being tried, and he denied Christ three times, one time to a middle school-aged girl. And that's not what you would want to document if you're trying to make up a story that, so that people will follow you and keep Jesus' message and memory alive. I mean, think about it. If you're going to make up this whole story, if you're going to lie, then aren't you going to also write in how incredibly brave you were 
and how you, you know, from the very beginning, you knew that Jesus was going to rise again. And aren't you going to make up a story about how when Jesus was arrested, you stayed with him and you didn't leave his side and they, they threatened to crucify us too. And we said, bring it on. And then they crucified Jesus and we buried him in the tomb. And then we just popped a tent and we camped there inside of that, right by that tomb. And we invited a band and we invited a choir, and we were there when the sun starts peeking over the mountains that Sunday morning. We're counting down. Ten, nine, eight. The choir's playing. The band is playing, right? And then Jesus walks out of the tomb, and we pop the champagne, and we're spraying it all over ourselves because we knew it was going to happen. Isn't, isn't that the story that you would tell if you're trying to get people to follow you in order that the message and the memory of Jesus would move on? Why did they document their disbelief? Why did they show that they were cowards all the way through? Why did they say that they abandoned their leader at this greatest time of need? That they were hiding when they heard that the tomb was empty and they just assumed that someone had stolen the body. Why do that? Friends, I want to invite you to wrestle with that. Because though it's hard to believe that a dead man came back to life, it's also very hard to believe that the four gospel writers would present Jesus as closest followers or present themselves as lacking faith and being confused and afraid if they were making up the story. I mean, honestly, the only plausible reason for why we're told that they were lacking in faith, confused, and afraid is that they really were lacking faith confused and afraid. But intriguingly, they didn't stay that way. For weeks later, and hear me on that, not years later, not 85 years later, which 85 years later is what historians say how long it takes for a generation to die off and the next generation to begin to get the story wrong and start adding to the story and soon it's folklore and myth and people are believing things that never really happened so not 85 years there wasn't enough time for that just a couple of weeks a few weeks later peter and john mary magdalene the other disciples the other female followers of jesus they all poured into the streets of jerusalem boldly declaring and talking about Jesus. And when I, that's significant because the streets of Jerusalem, that, that, that's the place where Jesus had just been tried and convicted and then hung on a cross and buried in a tomb just outside of those walls. Again, just a few weeks earlier, and yet in Jerusalem, they boldly begin to present this message, and here it is. Their message was Jesus was crucified, and he rose from the dead, and we are witnesses of these things. Now, here's what's wild. They didn't come into the streets preaching the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan is a great message. They weren't preaching the Sermon on the Mount. They weren't preaching the prodigal son, all Jesus' greatest hits in his teachings. But that's not what they were continuing to teach so that the message and the memory of Jesus would live on. No, no, no. They came with this message. Jesus was crucified, and then he rose again, and we saw him. 
For example, in Acts chapter 3, uh, we're told that Peter and John and the two guys who, you know, these two guys, Peter and John, who had been so scared, who had been hiding, right, who had denied Jesus to a middle school girl, these two guys were walking uh, down the st- uh, to the temple to pray in Jerusalem. And there was a man who had been lame from birth, and they said to him, hey, get up and walk. And he got up and walked. And the people that saw that got up to talk with Peter and John because that was kind of wild, right? And so Peter begins to address this crowd that was forming. And here's what he says to them. Acts chapter 3, verse 13. says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him, talking about Barnabas. You, or sorry, talking about Jesus. You, he says, disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer, here in this case, Barnabas, be released to you. Now, can you picture this? Peter is talking to the very crowd that just a few weeks earlier stood in Pilate's court and shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Regarding Jesus. And he looks him right in the eye and he said, Hey, you had the holy and righteous one killed. Where did he get that courage? And this is the scared guy that was hiding in a room. Where's this coming from? Verse 15 says, Peter's continuing, You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Witnesses of what? We are witnesses that Jesus rose from the dead. See, Peter is saying, hey, I'm not telling you what I believe is true. I'm telling you what I saw is true. And I saw him with my own eyes, and I'm telling you, he was alive again. Now, as you can imagine... This caused a little bit of a disturbance in the streets of Jerusalem, right? And so uh, the Jewish authorities show up on the scene, and you know what they do? They have Peter and John arrested. Now, again, think about this. Four weeks prior, or just a few weeks prior, right? Peter and John are hiding because they're afraid that the Jewish authorities are going to come and have them arrested and perhaps Killed, And so now the Jewish authorities show up, and what do they do? They have them arrested. But Peter and John knew that that could happen. They're on the street saying that you killed Jesus, but God rose him from the dead. We saw it. Why the difference? Why the change? Religious leaders, Jewish authorities, arrest Peter and John. And then the next day, they put them on trial. And in that trial... Peter looks right at the men who crucified Jesus. Because these religious authorities, they're the ones who orchestrated Jesus' crucifixion. They're the ones who got Pilate, Roman authorities to do it. They were the masterminds. Peter looks right at those same guys. And he says to them, Acts 4, verse 8, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, 
you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. That's some serious boldness, is it not? Face to face with the exact people that had Jesus crucified, he says, you killed him, but God raised him, and we saw him alive. He continues by saying this, salvation is found in no one else, no one else but the living Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Okay. Big question for y'all. You ready? Because you sound really quiet. Maybe be your sleep. You ready? I got, I got a big question for you, okay? Okay, in light of all that, here's, here's my question. Uh, what caused the change? I mean, what's a reasonable explanation? What's the best reasonable explanation of why Peter and John changed so dramatically? Do you, do you think that they changed? Because they clearly changed. Do you think that they changed because they saw Jesus alive again after he died? Or do you think that they changed this radically because they came up with a lie? A lie that uh, they got arrested for. A lie that they would eventually suffer and die for. Tim Keller, in his book, Reason for God, he has this quote I love. He says, uh, there's one more thing to keep in mind. He says, as Pascal puts it, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. Virtually all the apostles and early Christian leaders died for their faith. And it's hard to believe that this kind of powerful self-sacrifice would be done to support a hoax. Now listen, certainly people, uh, it's not rare for people to die, even today, for something that they believe is true. But rarely, if ever, do people suffer and die for something that they know is not true. And here, the disciples, almost all of them, are, cru- are, 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 are killed suffer, they die, they're killed for what they said they saw. But if they actually really didn't see it, then you're saying that all of those people died for something they knew was not true. Let me ask you, what's a more reasonable belief? Now, I know, I know, I know we're talking about a dead man coming back to life. That sounds crazy. But here's the evidence. What's the more reasonable conclusion? Oh, I think it's much more reasonable to believe that they died for what they knew was true. Jesus had died, and he had risen, and they had seen the risen Lord with their own eyes. That's why they changed so radically. And friends, to get personal, it's for these reasons, and and really many more, there's a lot of evidence for the resurrection, but for these reasons, I just want you to know, I personally believe that Jesus rose again. And I want you to know that I'm really confident in that belief. Because I think it's the, by far, the best explanation, the most reasonable explanation for all of the evidence. But having said that, 
Um, what does it matter? What does it matter? I'm going to put it another way. Why does it matter if Jesus was resurrected? The next Sunday, I, I plan on uh, spending the whole sermon answering that question. And it's going to take a whole sermon. It's going to take a lot more than that, but I'll try to fit into a sermon. Because the answer is so beautiful and profound and full of hope. And so I really want to invite you to join us again next Sunday. This is my shameless plug. Please come back. It's going to be great. <laughs> but this and for sake of time, I, I do want to just briefly mention two things that Jesus' resurrection means for you and for me. And the first is that it means that if Jesus was resurrected, then you can be freed from guilt and shame. You can be freed from guilt and shame. For you see, the resurrection is the powerful proof that your heart needs in order to convince you that Jesus fully paid the penalty of your sin on the cross. If you think about it this way, say you committed a crime and you were convicted for it, and it was determined that the debt you owed to society was to spend some time in prison. Well, how would you know when your debt was fully paid? Is it not when the prison doors are opened for you so that you could freely walk out? In Romans 6, 23, we're told that the wages of sin, meaning the uh, penalty for breaking God's law, is death. But we're also told that on the cross, Jesus took the penalty and he paid it in full. But how do we know that he actually paid the penalty in full? It's because the door of death was opened and he freely walked out. See, if you believe that Jesus died to pay the wages or the debt of your sin, then his resurrection stands as proof that he has covered your guilt and shame. And so you are freed from that weight and burden. You do not have to carry it any longer. See, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. Which means that if Christ has been raised, you are no longer in your sins. Rather, your sins are covered and the Father loves you even as he loves Jesus because you are in Jesus. Jesus himself says that in John 17, verse 23. It's because of Jesus' resurrection that your past, your shame, your moral failures, they do not define you anymore. You can let them go because they have been paid for in full. The resurrection is the proof of that. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, do you know that freedom? Second thing that the resurrection means, and, and really it means this because of the freedom that Jesus brings from guilt and shame and condemnation. Because of that, it also means that we do not need to fear death. John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now listen, currently Jesus' triumph over death is partial. 
It's not fully here now. We still will die a physical death, but it is also partially here now in the sense that when we die a physical death, we will not be separated from God as a result of faith in what Jesus has already accomplished through his death and resurrection, that when we die, we will be absent from the body, but we will be present with the Lord because of what Christ has accomplished. In fact, I love what Tim Keller says, to quote him again from a different book, The Hope in Times of Fear. Here's what he says. He says, for those who believe in the risen Christ, death is defanged. Indeed, death now can only infinitely enhance our experience of the love and joy of God's presence. And at the end of time, when the kingdom has fully come, death will be completely destroyed. The resurrection, friends, is the proof that this life is not all there is. And that when we see the resurrected body of Christ, we get a picture of what our resurrected bodies will look like. Not spirits floating, bodies walking. We get a picture of what that will be like. We, we get a sight into, a look into, a peek into the fact that after this life, what is to come is much better than what we've experienced up to this point. We have hope that, this, that all things are going to be made new for those in Christ. This is what we are told because Jesus has accomplished what he accomplished on Easter morning when he defeated sin and death and walked out of the tomb. This is why we can say along with the Apostle Paul and 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Friends, do you have that kind of confidence? It's available to you because of Jesus' resurrection. You can be freed from guilt and shame, and you can be freed from the fear of death because of him. As the song says, no guilt in life and no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. And I really want you all to have that confidence. I want this to be your reality. I want you to have that incredible hope. But more importantly, Jesus wants you to have that hope and that confidence. He wants you to be freed from your shame and guilt and fear. He literally died and rose again to make it possible. And friends, if you want Jesus to set you free from your guilt and your shame and fear, then I want to invite you this morning to place your trust in him today. And if you want help knowing how to do that or you want to talk to someone about that, then me and my wife, Krista, and along with uh, Alex and Leanne, two leaders of our church, are going to be back in the back lobby just through those doors. And during this time of singing, I'd invite you to come and talk to us. If you have questions about anything that I said, if you want someone to pray for you, or if you want to say, I, I want to put my trust in Christ, how do I do that? We would love to talk with you. We'd love to help you. And if you had all your feelings stirred to take that step, then I would really encourage you to act on it. See, make this the day when you put your faith in Christ and enter into a relationship who, with, with the God of the universe who loves you so much that he died and rose again for you. We'll be back there in just a minute during this time of singing. We'd love a chance to talk with you. Because, friends, listen. 
God loves you. And we know that because Jesus died for you. In fact, we know what love is because Jesus willingly laid down his life for you. That's what 1 John 3.16 says. And he defeated sin and he defeated death. So you can be freed from your guilt and your shame and your fear of death. And so that you can be free to enter into a relationship with him, united to him, and gifted his eternal life. He loves you. He is good. He's more loving than you realize. And friends, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray, and then let's stand and worship him. Father, God, what we're celebrating today, it's, <laughs> it might really be the hardest thing to believe. Not that Jesus rose, but that you love us this much that Jesus came and died and rose again for us to be enter into a relation with you, to free you from free us from guilt and shame and fear, to be led by a living Savior who knows us inside and out and yet still chose to die for us and then defeated death through his resurrection. God, that's hard to believe. But I pray, God, that you would help us believe it that you would strengthen our spirit so that we can more fully comprehend your incomprehensible love, that we would be moved to trust you and follow you and allow your spirit within us to make us more like Christ so we would be a blessing to, to our family, our roommates, our friends, and our city, that Austin would become more like heaven. God, move us to believe. Move us to follow. Thank you so much for what you've done for us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Thank you.